0: Hello and welcome to the Her Helping Habit podcast, a podcast that's going to address issues, questions, queries, all about egg donation, surrogacy and infertility and other things that come under that scope as well. Um, So today we are going to be answering some uh, questions from Reddit. Um, I'm joined here today by Katie, the founder and creator of her helping habit, and by Sarah, our donor coordinator. So, without further ado, I think we should just dive straight in to these questions. So, here we go. I am on anxiety medication. Can I be an egg donor? The internet is kind of not helpful at all when it comes to the requirements to become an egg donor. Do you have to be entirely drug-free, recreational and prescription, or just recreational? I live in the US, by the way, if that makes a difference.
1: Generally most anxiety, anti-anxiety or depression medications are acceptable with a cup with a few exceptions. So we always review that with a doctor, um, and generally we have a good idea of what's going to be accepted ahead of time, so we can advise you on that they usually limit it to about two medications though so if you're taking three or more um psych meds then probably it's maybe not a good fit for you
2: yeah and i don't it doesn't matter u.s canada where you're based you find the guidelines are pretty well across the board
1: yeah in terms of recreational drugs you do need to be recreationally free of drugs and that includes cannabis and nicotine no matter what their legal status is and where you live
0: has anyone donated eggs as an openly trans person? I'm considering the option of donating my eggs, but I've been on testosterone very briefly and I've had top surgery. I don't know if there are fertility clinics out there who'd be open-minded enough to accept eggs from a trans person or not. I only use testosterone gel minimally. And my blood was tested after a short period of using an extremely low dose and it never entered the male range. Will this disqualify me? Um,
2: But in terms of donating, if you are on testosterone, I think that impacts um, your your quality. So if you've already started testosterone, no, you're going to have to stop that in order to be a donor. Um, If you're in the prepping stages of taking testosterone, then yes. Um, And I think that's when it would be best to consider being an egg donor before you start the testosterone.
1: Yeah, as long as your ovaries are not impacted by any additional hormones that you're taking, like if you're not on any extra hormones as part of your transition, um, then it should be fine. And if you do have working ovaries, um, it's not so much that the clinics aren't open-minded or that they really care how you identify. They're really just focused on your ovaries.
0: What's the process like? So I'm 26, healthy and happy. I've been doing a lot of research on egg donation and I'm wanting to do this. However, I want to be a hundred percent sure I know what I'm getting myself into. I know all of the wonderful benefits to doing this, but I want realistic knowledge of the negative effects, the hardships, etc.
1: So first of all, you're going to doing a lot of paperwork. It's not a quick process, um, and you're going to be asked to fill out extensive health information about you and all of your family. You're encouraged to talk to your family members, do a lot of research gathering. Um, you're going to be signing a lot of consent forms, doing a lot of medical tests. So generally, you're looking at at least a three or four month period from when you're matched until... Uh, you actually do the cycle and then in terms of the medical portion of the cycle you're going to be giving yourself injections every day for give or take a little less than two weeks um, and going for a lot of monitoring appointments so you're going to feel a bit like a human pincushion by the end of that and you're going to be poked and prodded and uh, have a small surgery so it, it is quite a big commitment. So it's good that you're doing a lot of research going into
2: it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that it's great you're doing research because I find a lot of people don't do as much research as they should. And it's it's not like a quick buck, um, like it's advertised or maybe portrayed online or in yeah. uh, the movies. So it's, it's, it's quite intense. Like we've both been donors and you're...
0: I don't know I guess like emotionally
2: hormones can be up and down I find I'm pretty okay on medications I don't know about I you I usually feel great
1: yeah, like, <laughs> like, like... to be honest most of my cycles I felt like fertile and glowy yes the estrogen um, I'm like my yeah, skin's great I feel but then it's with like time. the
2: crash I find I didn't really notice after the retrieval yeah I, I, I usually leave.
1: have about a day of intense mental fog afterwards mm-hmm. uh, after following retrieval and then of course it's you know there's discomfort there's cramps there's a little bit of bleeding you're waiting for that super heavy period Following retrieval,
2: yeah, I find like I get more like hormonal acne. Um, my hair gets up. really greasy. My It starts to like, like almost fall out and get thin for the first oh, month or two. I find that after the really retrieval, mean. and then it comes back. Like I just notice more hair loss in the shower after okay. my retrieval. I've heard that before. Yeah,
1: yeah. mine got greasy, so I felt like I had, I had, I like I had to wash it all the time. Like it just felt really greasy. Yeah.
2: So I would say like similar, like maybe PMS like symptoms, people will report a range um, and really we're playing with your hormones, right? So you're going to have to expect something and then it can take, you know, anywhere from a month to three plus, maybe six months, depending on the person for your hormones to re-regulate after the cycle. Mm
0: -hmm. Family history. Hey, I'd like to know if there are any services that do egg donation if you don't know your full family history. I have my mother's side, but not my father's. I'm pretty healthy and generally well-rounded. I'm in it to help some folks out, especially LGBT, and also, yes, for money. Thoughts?
1: Uh, not going to be for everyone, and it will be a deterrent to some people getting matched and to other people it won't matter. So it really depends on what the recipient's um, risk level is, right? Like what risk they're willing to take in terms of family history. Some people are looking a lot more for that personal connection with their egg donor, or they're looking for some very specific physical characteristics or education or just a general attitude. And some people are really, really interested in family history. So, you know, for some people yeah. that's really important, but it's going to be different across the board. So certainly, you know, an agency like us, we'd be willing to take you on. Um, it just might be take you a little while to get matched.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a good answer. Um, I think it depends on the agency some they don't want to um, take you certain banks or whatnot if you don't have a complete medical history but I don't think that's really like possible for anybody because you only know what's told and passed down through the generation so um, we try at least to inform all intended parents that even though we do the best we can to get a full complete medical background of the family history that's really not possible or you know, even there's no way for us to even verify that or a doctor. So a lot of this is based on that trust that's established between us, donor and intended parent. And I think the biggest thing is to feel confident in who you're matched with so that you believe, you know, they're honest and, uh, in true to who they say they are.
1: And family history can change, too, as you age, you know, I've had stuff change in my family's history um, that I had to update the recipients about because um, it don't, doesn't affect their kids now, but it will when they're in their 40s and 50s.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think that's important um, and something different about us with only practicing known name donation is that that door is always open. It's something that we believe is really ethical and important to everybody. It, it should be a right to have access to your medical information. Um, and... That's not something that's possible with anonymous donation. so egg donors are young and healthy they're between 21 and 30 typically so things can change like sarah said we grow we age there's lots that can come up same with our you know our parents grandparents you know people pass away we learn new things so i think it's important to always have that connection to exchange uh, future health information that changes
0: first time egg donor hi all I'm a first time egg donor, and I'm currently in my stimulation phase of the cycle. I'm super excited about being able to provide healthy eggs to my intended parents, and everything is going well so far, but I am anxious about all and any side effects along the way, especially OHSS. Any advice on things I can be doing to decrease the side effects of the trigger shot, especially?
2: So a couple things I would recommend doing uh, rate right, starting now, since you're already on stimulation, is asking your nurse, or doctor at your monitoring appointments, what your estrogen levels are and how many follicles they're seeing on each side of your ovary. So if you can find out, you know, exactly there's 10 growing on the right and maybe seven growing on the left. And then how big are those follicles? I know they probably don't wanna tell you the size of each of them. If they will, great. I've had nurses write down them for me just on a little piece of paper so I can go home and look at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another option would just be, okay, well, what's my lead follicle and my, so my biggest follicle and then my smallest follicle on each ovary. So um, if they tell you your largest follicle, is 1.5 millimeters and your smallest is seven millimeters um you know that tells us we've got one that's close to trigger and maybe a bunch that are smaller like I'd want to know you know that is quite a range we're not really Mm -hmm. maybe seeing that big of a gap but those are things that you want to know so that you can kind of have an idea like okay there's 15 on each side, that means there's 30 potential aches, and that puts you at a higher risk if you're getting HCG as your trigger. So you're gonna wanna advocate for a agonist trigger only, um, if that's the case.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, The most common branding for that is Lupron, um, but there are a few that it can go by. Um, but either having a really really small amount of hCG or even omitting it totally as you get to that higher egg number. If you're looking at like having you know 10 or 15 eggs retrieved, then certainly adding some hCG to your trigger in a dual situation is it can be appropriate in a lot of cases. Um, the other thing you can do is start increasing your protein intake and. Um, yeah and just monitoring you know being mindful of monitoring your follicles and how many you have yeah Um, how
2: long would someone want to eat protein for after like i know leading up to the cycle but after
1: retrieval for at least Probably about a week, but, you know, the protein, what that does is um, your body is building a lot of service capillaries to each individual follicle. So normally it's Mm -hmm. only having to build one or a couple to service one follicle, right? And so when you're developing all of these follicles, it's got to make all of these service capillaries. And so to make them less permeable and increasing your protein in your diet is going to help with that.
2: Okay, interesting.
1: Um, stool softeners is another one that you're going to want to think about. So, and this is something that doesn't get talked about nearly often enough, but constipation can be a real issue. And when you have all that tenderness in your ovaries post retrieval, you're not going to want to have to bear down a lot to uh, to move things along. So, taking a gentle stool softener like senna or something like that, um, starting a couple days before retrieval and continuing until things normalize again, can be really, really helpful.
0: Okay, that's great. I think that is all we have time for today, unfortunately, but we will be back again soon. So thank you for your time um, and thank you for listening. Um, if you have any questions or queries um, about some of the topics covered in this episode, then please feel free to reach out at Um, You'll also find a lot of FAQs and answers to questions and queries regarding some of these subjects there as well. Thank you very much for listening and we will be back again soon. Have a great day.